Fox's groundbreaking animated show, The Simpsons, debuted so far back, how far back you say? 1989 to be precise, that it's not only the longest running show in television history, it's older than half of our plugged in team. (laughs) And I think it's safe to say the influence it's had has spawned an entire genre of animated fare that might look like kids' stuff on the surface, but it definitely aims at an adult audience. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, once upon a time, animated cartoons were aimed at one audience, kids. Hmm. Yeah, we had gags like Bugs Bunny and drag and smoking cigars and whatnot, but for the most part, if it was a hand-drawn cartoon, you didn't have to fret too much over what the content would be. That really changed in 1989 when The Simpsons showed up. And recently, Plugged In's Emily Clark, hey Emily. Hey. (laughs) Wrote a great blog on why these shows not only aren't good for teens, but frankly, they might not even be great for the adults that they're aimed at either. (laughs) So today we're gonna talk about the subversive appeal of these shows. And I think that's definitely an element here that we're gonna wanna kick around as well as why we might want to reconsider what place they have in our family's media consumption diet. And in our second segment, Bob, who has had the privilege of seeing Top Gun Maverick, which seems like it's been delayed for like eight years now with COVID, and he's going to tell us what we need to know about a sequel 35 years in the making. And before we jump in, I'd also encourage you to follow The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcast. Leave a comment, leave a review, leave a like. We would love to hear what you're thinking about our conversations this week. And speaking of that today, I am joined by Emily Clark, Paul AC, and Bob Hoos. Hey, everyone. Hey. Good morning. morning. All right. Well, let's get ready to talk TV, and we're going to talk about some problems with a particular genre. And I thought before we jump into that and dive into a philosophical and maybe even theological conversation about edgy animated programming, let's start at a little kinder, gentler place. I want to revisit our hopefully more innocent collective past. What was your favorite cartoon growing up and why? Hmm. Well, I'll start it out. It was Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. You know, I'm, you know, it, which was somewhat subversive for the age anyway. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the things. I, but I, I loved it. There was something about a Bugs Bunny cartoon that, uh, that just tickled my fancy. Loved them. Okay. It's interesting as we dive into this conversation, what Bob just said is really interesting because you think about Bugs Bunny, you think about some of the classic cartoons from days gone by. They were actually intended for adults. They were these clips that ran before regular old movies. So So now you're contradicting what I said in the intro. That's exactly what I'm saying. I love that about you. You can't just let it go. (laughs) Go ahead, Paul. But it was, but you're right, it was a more innocent time and they were meant for all audiences, right? My favorite was actually Tom and Jerry. I would get home from school and they would have this Tom and Jerry half hour special. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I really realized that old stuff could be way better than the new stuff because because some of those classic 1950s Tom and Jerry little shows were so much better than the stuff that they made in the 1970s. And you could see the quality. They, they, They couldn't be crude back then. Right. Mm -hmm. They had to really work for their humor. Emily? Yeah, so mine was actually um, Arthur, which came out in 1996. Uh, and 
that was my favorite show. I love. I would wake up on Saturday mornings and I would run out to the living room, and that was the show that I wanted to turn on. It was the only thing I wanted to watch. And um, unfortunately, as the years have gone on, it's become a lot more controversial. Yeah. Um, it turns out that you know one of the teachers is gay, and so like there are some things that were definitely not in the what I remember from the show from the from the nineties. But you know, but back in the 90s it was still still pretty innocent pretty cute and that was my show well it's an interesting example because i think it segues into our conversation and i'll give my answer in a second here too but we've seen how content and worldview have evolved and i think arthur is a great case study in in something that started out as a pretty prototypical kids show oh my goodness yeah but it has gotten so politicized and we've seen that with kids animation in general and and we've even talked about that previously on the plugged in show so that's not our focus today but um i love that example of from your childhood and as i think back i think one of the great things about childhood is you have these wispy memories that are almost like dreams right they're so far back that they may not even be concrete and when i was really 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 little my favorite cartoon was Speed Racer. And I mean, it was already in syndication by the time I was like three or four years old because it was a a late 60s Japanese thing. But I just remember Go Speed Racer Go. And and it was gone from TV by the time I think I was five. So my memories of it were have that dreamlike kind of quality to them. Um, And a little bit further on, because I'm the host of the show, I'm going to give more answers. Um, (laughs) I love Space Ghost and the Herculoids. Those were my other two favorites. Oh, the Herculoids. We could talk so much about the Herculoids. Herculoids were awesome. Please don't. How about about (laughs) Paw Patrol? Let's talk about that. Let's not. Let's not. (laughs) Herculoids. We're talking. No, we're not. Well, I love just hearing from our past because all of us grow up in an environment where we're shaped by media and entertainment. And sometimes in passive ways, sometimes in innocent ways. I mean, I don't think we would say any of those shows corrupted our souls or, or left a, you know, yeah. some sort of stain on our lives. Emily, in your blog at Plugged In titled Adult Cartoons Aren't Safe for Teens or for Adults That Matter, you gave us a little bit of a history lesson with regard to how The Simpsons arrived and I think really launched an entirely new genre of animation. What would you say, and everyone else can chime in here too, that The Simpsons did that made it so influential as something new in the realm of animated television? Well, I'm actually just going to take a quote directly from Paul, who (laughs) wrote our review for it on the site. And it's that The Simpsons was the family no one wanted to be, but secretly wanted to visit, if only for a vacation from themselves. And I think that's what it is. It's, you know, it pokes fun at the American family. It pokes fun at all of the things like the sibling rivalries, the parent-child dynamics, the husband-wife dynamics. It it satirizes all of those things. And I don't know, it just kind of makes you feel better about your own situation sometimes, I think. And that's, you know, one of the things about cartoons is just that you don't have to worry about actors aging at all they are timeless you could you can draw them through the aging process but chances are if they've drawn a character you know how old is uh bart simpson you know he's he should be like 50 now he should be but he's not he's still a kid and so it's like and that's something that they can continue forever so they can continue with these bits and these characters without having to actually mature them at all yeah and they've been that way ever since 
Actually, they showed up for the first time on the Tracy Ullman show, which was a comedy show way back when. Right. And, and it was actually just little skits uh, featuring this this new idea of The Simpsons. And then once they came became their own show, they sort of combined all these little skits into these stories about family. It was it's fun. a little bit of trivia for you. Our The Plugged In team actually got its start indirectly from The Simpsons. The very first issue of what we were back then, Parental Guidance, had a cover story on The Simpsons. Mm. And, of course, we disliked it a whole, whole bunch. <laughs> Why did we dislike it? Let's rewind the clock, because I think that's important. You bet, because right now, I think The Simpsons is seen as sort of this almost nostalgic look. Yeah. Right? It, it yeah. feels, in our modern eyes, a little bit um, innocent. But when it started out, it was anything but. And the show hasn't changed, but the culture has. Right. And you had Bart Simpson, who was talking back to his parents. They would fight mm-hmm. all the time. You had all and these- Homer was like the ultimate doofus. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was really seen by many at the time as sort of this harbinger of, of the death of American culture in some ways. You know, I think that you saw some elements that a lot of people were very, very concerned about. And- it's Including kind of, us at the time. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because, in a way, those feel a little bit overblown, and yet, in a way, as Emily will talked about in her blog, there could be a lot of truth to it, too. Well, and it seems like one of the things, well, two of the elements that the show introduced were a crassness. Like, mm-hmm. there were, there was bathroom humor, there was some mild language, there was attitude, um, and there was a cynicism. Like, we're coming out of the 80s, which is sort of the age of family ties and the Cosby show, and it almost felt like a precursor to the kind of cynicism and sarcasm that we would get in the 1990s. And I think those were the elements that felt, in that cultural moment, combined with the disrespect and the sort of mildly to moderately dysfunctional family dynamics it felt like, holy cow, is this the end of Western civilization? Right. It felt transgressive. But yeah. see, we have to go back, I believe, to the basics of what makes something funny. And and it really, to a large extent, funny is based on surprise, yep. incongruity, things that happen or where you're flying against the norm. I mean, those are the things that make people chuckle or laugh. But as our society grows more and more coarse then those things have to be cruder and cruder. That's right. why we've got, yeah. we start, we're talking about The Simpsons because The Simpsons actually have stayed pretty much the same. All yeah, the it way hasn't changed much, worldview wise. But we've gotten shows like uh, South Park or whatever that have gotten so much nastier. And we look at it from our society and think, boy, things are really falling apart. But I, in a way, it's like the chicken or the egg right. uh, yeah. question. So which got worse? It, was it the humor that made our society coarser? Or was it our the coarsening of our society that makes our humor cruder? Man, mm. I think that's a great question and a great observation. And I just, I want to circle back to something Paul said. I mean, I think the crazy paradox about The Simpsons was that when it launched, it sort of felt like, man, the foundations are cracking. And now we look at it as an example almost of, oh, look, a nice intact family that, yeah. that <laughs> yeah, loves know, each right? other. Like it, goes it, to church, it has they, become, it's yeah. gone from being, you know, on the, the edgy end of the spectrum to really culturally conservative. But, you know, Bob, moving along with what you were talking about, I think it really did unleash this coarseness and we got sort of a race to the bottom um, in terms of how can we make things even nastier to get people's yeah. attention? So what are some of the other shows that, that maybe The Simpsons helped spawn that have increasingly gotten more and more problematic? 
Well, Bob already mentioned South Park, which, mm. ugh, that one, that one I have a personal abhorrence for. <laughs> uh, just teenage boys who were obsessed with that show, who rode my bus when I was in middle school, they were just the worst. And so I will just always, forever, yeah. just condemn that show. I hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. How do you it, really but... feel? <laughs> but, but at the same time, the interesting thing about South Park is how innocent it looks. Right. Oh, yeah. You've got these characters that look so innocent, and I think that I think that oftentimes that drives parents to say, oh, yeah, you can watch that. I think that's what actually happens is that, you know, I, I think I remember hearing or reading about a story where someone bought, like, the South Park video game for their child yeah, because yeah. of those characters you just described, and then they got home, and it's got, like, you know, the F word flying around and, yeah. like, really, really graphic, like, conversations happening, and they were like, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> you know? They, they definitely forgot to check the rating on that game. <laughs> um, no, so some other shows that come to mind, uh, Futurama, American Dad, Disenchantment, Archer, BoJack Horseman, uh, Big Mouth, Family, Family Guy. guy. Um, yeah. And then there's like some like uh, Bob's Burgers and Central Park, which I don't know. Sometimes it feels like those ones are like a little bit better, but then at other times it feels like... You know, they're just as bad. It just kind of depends on your point of view. Well, and Paul, you're, you've been kind of our main TV guru for low these many years as these shows have emerged. What's your perspective on the trajectory that we have seen with these kinds of shows that Emily has mentioned? I think that Emily is exactly right. I think that there is a downward trajectory, generally speaking. Um, but we are seeing... In, in, uh, and I want to get back to something that, that Mr. Hoos actually mentioned a little bit earlier, and, and that's sort of talking a little bit about how innocent these shows look. As we sort of set up at the very beginning, um, we are conditioned in some ways, maybe not so much anymore, but when these shows started coming out, we were conditioned to think of cartoons as kids' shows. Mm -hmm. And when you had all these transgressive shows that started coming out, South Park, Family Guy, uh, I think that parents fought that they were for kids, and clearly they were not. Uh, when I look at sort of the landscape of these adult cartoons, man, I look at, at Family Guy, which I reviewed, I looked at Big Mouth, which Emily reviewed, and you just think, this is these are in a lot of ways more crass, more foul, more mm -hmm. problematic than any live action show that I can think of. Um, and a lot of kids are watching them, and that's, I think, a, a problem. Would you say that's the main appeal is that that subversive, you know, it looks innocent, but it's not. I mean, what what's the draw for teens and what's the draw for adults? I think the draw is just that it's an equal opportunity abuser. It abuses every single race, religion, political standpoint. It abuses political figures, religious figures, celebrities, anything you can think of. Everybody, everything is fair game. Yeah. And so, you know, when you go into it, you can sit there and you can be like, oh, I'm offended because I fall into that category. But then 10 seconds later, it'll insult a different group that maybe you're yeah. not a fan of or you're just not a participant of. And you're like, oh, that's funny. Well, it's not just us. It's everybody. Well, OK. Yeah. That, and that's what and, makes it and, so and, funny. And in a way, it's actually sort of flying in the face of this coarsening culture in, yeah. in a yeah. number of cases. And I think that might be part of the appeal. We, we live in a world that is so locked down with these PC values. Yeah. And so if you watch something that's 
truly just nasty to everyone, yeah. then that can have its own kind of appeal. Well, and I think South Park has definitely been maybe the example of they have been unafraid to go after virtually anybody and yeah. really flying in the face of that PC culture. Uh, and, and I think that there's the temptation to say, is that a good thing? I mean, some people have even characterized it as a fundamentally conservative kind of show. Um, but that opens up all sorts of other questions about we're getting this cultural commentary, but there's all this other stuff, too. One of the other things that I don't think we can overlook in this conversation is a lot of these shows are actually pretty funny. I mean, there's there's yeah, some so they're quality. they're not badly crafted. Right, exactly. And, and you do have, you know, Emily and I could could rattle off a bunch of shows that we don't find funny at all. Yes, but you you do have within The Simpsons, within Bob's Burgers, within even South Park, you have yeah. some interesting cultural commentary uh, that for whatever reason, I think animation allows you to reach into places and deal with issues and and poke fun at things that live action just doesn't. I completely agree. You can, because it's not live action, it's a good thing as for everything that Paul just said. It allows you to make jokes and, and it is a well, these are well-crafted shows. There are jokes in there that are genuinely funny, but it's also kind of a double-edged sword because when you flip it over, it's also part of the problem. You can get away with things in animation and that you can't get away with in live action. And I'm particularly thinking of Big Mouth. There are some things <laughs> oh, that are man. animated in that show where I'm just like, it, this. it's just wrong on so many levels where you're just sitting there and you're like, this is not a show that any teenager, and honestly, most adults either should be watching. This yeah. is bad. You know, and I, I should, I want to throw in one comment because you guys both have said well-crafted. And in some cases, I would agree. Yeah. In others... The humor is kind of lowbrow. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. really, yeah. really lowbrow. Low. Mm -hmm. So, in a sense, some of the humor can be really lazy. Yeah, where right. they just choose the lowest denominator and throw it in there. But I also want to say one other thing in terms of on the positive side. I don't know if we can lump them all together. Right. Okay. Because, yes. like South Park, for example, and Big Mouth, man, those are terrible shows. But on the other hand, I think Simpsons. And Bob's Burgers, yep. they can have some very redeeming moments. And I'm not talking just about social commentary. I'm talking about the, com family. the comments that they have about yes. the family. Right. Because very often, both of those shows, they will end with something positive said about or and or encouragements said about being a better dad or being being a better husband or or loving your siblings there there are certain comments and and messages that these shows have that I think can be very positive so i want to i want to land our conversation just with a question about parenting you know if you've got i think especially these shows have a subversive and transgressive appeal to young boys um, because they're, you know, sure. you've got potty humor and you've got language and you've yeah. got stuff like that. If I'm a parent and I have a tween or a teen and I begin to see that they have interest in these shows, what do I do? How do we navigate that? How do we split the difference between, you know what, we're going to stay away from that or I get why this is appealing. Let's talk about it. What, what do you guys think? I think you have to start with 
reading our reviews to see which ones. I mean, like a lot of them are going to seem kind of. See, we could be self-serving, so <laughs> yeah. no problem. A lot of them. It's almost like we planned that, but we didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like we planned that. I really didn't know what I was going to say until I started saying it. <laughs> no, um, I think that you will find similarities in a lot of our reviews of these shows, just content-wise. But I think that another important element is. I actually think parents, if you're going to have the discussion about whether or not you're going to let your child, your son watch the show, watch it with him. Because if he sits there and he gets really uncomfortable because of what's happening on screen and he's having to watch it with like his mom or his dad, like that's a pretty Mm -hmm. good indicator Mm -hmm. of, oh, maybe you shouldn't be watching this by yourself either. Because in my opinion, you know, when I was a kid, if I was embarrassed to watch a show with my parents, and this is actually true to today... If I'm embarrassed to watch a show or a movie with my family, then maybe I shouldn't be watching it That's to begin great, with. That's a great point, Emily. I love that. Yeah, Gentlemen, I, anything to add there? I would agree. You know, it's a point that we come back again and again to, right. which is parents need to engage with what their kids are into. And I think that watching it with them, talking about it afterwards, uh, I think that's really, really important. I think that reading the reviews are obviously really important to see whether that's even a step you want to take. But if you do decide to take that step, you have to be willing to talk about what you see. Yes. Right. And and honestly, some of these adult aimed cartoons are great for talking through issues. You have you have those family issues, you have the cultural issues. These are things that parents can engage with their kids about and talk more broadly yep. about issues that kids today are dealing with. And let me reiterate on that. I mean, the fact is we've been talking about the healthfulness of whether or not kids should be immersed in cynicism and sarcasm and things of that nature. But the fact is that they can be, just as Paul was saying, they can be healthy tools depending on the show itself. Yeah. And so can we as parents navigate that minefield? Can we yeah. find those shows? And it comes back to what we've all been saying, spend time with your kids watching these shows, and you'll be able to tell what's healthy and what's not. Well, Bob, as I mentioned at the outset, you have had the privilege of seeing Top Gun Maverick. And, you know, there are a whole generation of us who grew up in the 80s, and Top Gun was really an iconic movie. I mean, it's a movie that, that shaped culture. I mean, it was one of Tom Cruise's earlier movies. You could say it might have been the ahem star vehicle that propelled him into the stratosphere. Thank you for the eye roll, Paul. You're my, welcome. My children would have done the same thing there. Um, I'm just going to throw this over to you. What yep. What do we need to know about Top Gun Maverick? Does it hold together? I mean, I think as anybody who grew up in the 80s is like, really? Tom yep. Cruise back in a jet? But then also, what are the plugged-in considerations that we need to, to think about? Well, first of all, it um, Tom Cruise plays this character named Maverick. That's why the subtitle Maverick. Yep. And he, uh, that's his call name. And he is, uh, he's been going great in terms of uh, being awarded all these medals and about, and being just this decorated Navy. So he hasn't just ridden a motorcycle for the last three no, years. No, no, but okay. you, you might think so, but he's <laughs> definitely still mo- riding the motorcycle, but he's a decorated hero of sorts. Um, but on the other hand, he hasn't been upgraded in rank. Right. Because he's been a, a captain he's still all a captain. this time. Yeah. Right. Because he's also something of a rebel. And he right. does things his way. 30 plus years of service, combat medals, citations, 
Only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years. You should be at least a two-star admiral by now. Yet here you are, Captain. What is that? It's one of life's mysteries, sir. He's called back to the Top Gun School. And for those people who never saw the first movie, the Top Gun School is for the cream of the crop, the best of the best, the best pilots in the country all go to this school to learn how to fly the latest equipment and, and, is it still and be Miramar? the best. Yeah, it's still the, every, everything, everything is still the same. Um, anyway, he's called back in because there's a special mission that they want to train the Top Gun pilots for that's of utmost importance and it has to be done in three weeks and they're going to give it to him just because he has this crazy attitude about getting in there and getting the job done and figuring out how to do it uh, but on the other hand there's so many people that just want him out and that's sort of another part of it this could be this could be his last mission oh. Oh, no. <laughs> so in terms of the film itself it is I've got to say, I was impressed. Mm. It is almost... And you're not an easy audience. No, no, not at all. Especially when I've got a pad in my hand. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it's almost a picture-perfect sequel. Huh. Because it harkens back to the first one. You've got all the... You've got the music from the first one. You've got Tom Cruise on his motorcycle racing a jet. You've got, you've got guys with their shirts off, including Tom Cruise, playing sports on the beach. So you've got all this stuff hearkening back to the first film. You've got all this nostalgia. And for fans sitting in the audience, they'll be hooting over that. Yeah. And then you've got all the new things, the new mission, the new dogfights. And it is photographed so incredibly well. And it's so well done that it's hard to tell what's live action and what's CGI. It's a they really, filmed a lot of it, I Yeah, think, I saw they? it in IMAX. So I was up. I saw all the details in the grain. And it, it looked great hmm. i mean it really looks great and it's got lots of power-packed action that people will enjoy so i've got a weird question for you does this feel like the conclusion of the top gun story or does this feel like there's going to be a new sequel are they are In they like introducing years. <laughs> are they are they introducing a new character that could be the next top gun person not really mm -hmm. i mean it's possible mm -hmm. but there's nothing very clear saying this is okay now we've got the next generation, like like the next generation Indiana Jones or whatever. It's nothing like that in there. Um, there, it's just a very self-contained story, that um, and with its own set of flyboys and and a fly girl this time, and uh, and that you can root for and, and cheer for as you go through. So you've said a lot of good things about it. What do people need to know from a plugged-in perspective in terms of okay. content? In terms of content, there's not a lot there. There's a little bit of sensual romance here, but it's handled very light. Uh, and the first one, I mean, has yeah, some it was actually pretty shockingly sensual right. stuff. This one, he's sort of reconnecting with an old girlfriend and who, who's played by Jennifer Connelly. And the two of them look like these beautiful people that have been frozen in time, you know, and... and, and That's but, how I feel every morning. <laughs> but there's, and there's a little bit of, you know, kissing and that sort of thing, and they've, and they imply some non-marital interactions, but, but they don't show us any of that. Okay. And, so it's pretty um, restrained in that sense. It is. And the biggest, the biggest problem is probably some of the language, because some of these fly boys and the fly girl uh, <laughs> can get a little bit... A little salty. Salty, especially flying at 
Mach 6, you know, right. that sort of thing. I feel or, like that's not out of bullets. character for military people. Yeah, no. I mean, that's the thing. And, and in fact, it could have been worse in that category. And so it feels like it's been kept reined in a bit. Pretty restrained by yeah, 2022 the, standards. The whole, the whole film feels restrained okay. in that in that way. Um, I think probably the biggest issue you're going to have is that if you see it, you're going to drive too fast while going home. Man, that's I mean, it's just, first time. it's going to happen. I mean, it, it's just going to happen. Is that what happened to you? Yes. <laughs> and Bob, with all due respect, you're old enough to know better. <laughs> that's right. I, and, I, and I drive a Fiat, which shouldn't know, be right? flying down the highway at high speeds. All right. Well, thanks for giving us a sense of what's here. It sounds like um, maybe more navigable than... Some big action I, movies we see so. these days. Yeah. So not a highway to the danger zone, so to speak. Oh <laughs> wow! And we're going to end with full points for Paul. No, he's got to sing it. He's got to sing it if he wants the points. <laughs> I don't know that we anybody we don't, needs. That. We don't need that. Well, now it's time for part of our show we call Pop Culture Connection, and each week our producer Ashley. Hey Ashley. Hey y'all. She uh, she comes up with some great questions that uh, really try to. To rattle our brains a little bit with That's regard right. to popular culture, and here's how this works. If you haven't heard this segment before, she's going to ask each of us a question, and we'll have to come up with as many answers as possible uh, in 30 seconds. And, you know, in some ways this is our favorite segment, and in some ways it's our most fear-inducing segment because, well, sometimes our brains don't work that fast. So it's always interesting to see what you're going to bring us, Ashley, and, and well, how our little minds will react. So indeed. with no further ado, All take right, it away. Here we go. You know, well, I really think we should keep running tallies on who's winning Oh, the my most. word. Paul thinks it's the Olympics. <laughs> yes, it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Paul, I think you would be very disappointed with that if we did that. I think right. you would oh, wind up coming out on the bottom more often. She's dissing you. Paul, wow. I'm going to give you a chance, though. You're going to be first. Oh, so here we go. Thanks, Emily. Your question for is pumping Paul up there. Who do you consider to be the best movie character from the seventies and why? Oh, the seventies. Oh my goodness. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, it would have to be San Solo, right? Totally Han Solo because he flies the Millennium Falcon. He has a really cool Wookiee as a friend. He says, when somebody says, I love you, he says, I know. He spent a lot of time in Carbonite. He was roguish in and, and he has this cool blaster and he hangs out in cool bars on Tatooine. Can't go wrong with that. He did shoot first. <laughs> Holy cow. There's a lot Some of people would plugged disagree. In content that was, in that, um, in that, uh, wow. that was pretty good, Paul. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Like basically everything. Thank except that I think we... you called him San Solo, but whatever. Yeah, I thought he take, said that too. <laughs> take that, Emily. I was like, who is that? Is, that? is that Han Solo's little oh, brother? Oh my yeah. it's, it's, it's I was, Han Solo without Han Solo. It's San Solo. I was trying to <laughs> think about who was in the seventies. I was thinking. Oh, I know. That, that guy. I know. My you know, barely made it with kid, that one. You know, what's his name? That one guy who died. Anyway, who's next? All right, let's do. <laughs> Adam, why don't you go next? Great. Great. All right, here we go. I hope you give Great me something question. I can do a Star Wars answer to. How, hey, wait, how many points did I get? I didn't hear. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, that was a whole oh, bunch. Oh, I'm sorry. You got eight points for eight that. Eight points. Points. All I right. I can top that. I might as well concede right it. now. Not necessarily. Right. It's Thanks. not you over till it's you over. You see what you did, Emily? I hope you're happy. <laughs> I jinxed it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you may not use the same answer for this, but okay. your question, Adam, is if you could be any fictional character, who would you be and why? Oh. Wow. 
any fictional character. I'm going to have to go with Aragorn because one, Aragorn's cool. Even when he kicks a rock and breaks his toe in real life in the movie, he screams and keeps going with the scene. He has a terrific beard. He has a sword that gets broken half that gets put back together. He's in love with an elf queen, and that works out. And who doesn't love that? I mean, he's a Christ figure. He gets to be the king of this incredible city when he comes back, finally. Oh, Did I beat Paul? Bear, no, 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 you did not. Oh, seven. Felt like I was so doing close. pretty good. You so were rolling. Close. I know. I, I had to think too long. Yeah. I mean, Aragorn or Han Solo. Well, they that's were, tough. They were really tough to think of. I yes. do appreciate that you went with Aragorn, though. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> I, I right. appreciate it. Emily, you're going to be next. Oh, man. I'm also, I thought last. it was funny when you mentioned his great beard because I was like, he also has about well, an yeah. infinite amount of more hair, hair than you yeah, do. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> Infinite amount more hair. Infinite yes. amount of hair. Uh, he has great hair. He has you know? great, he, he does. does. He has like like especially, especially when he puts that crown on. It's yes. all like wavy. His, his yeah. hair is nicer than mine in that moment, and it makes me a little jealous. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, top ten things about Aragorn's hair. Question for next time. <laughs> Maybe so. All right, Emily. What is your favorite non-screen activity and why? Reading, easily. Uh, reading takes you to another place. It can, if you read it at night, it can help you sleep better because it kind of just relaxes your mind. You can listen to music in the background. It's, um, it really, if you, I say if you read it at night, it can make you sleepy, but also if it's really good, it can make you, you sit there and you're just like, oh, just one more chapter, just one more chapter. Um, the series can go on for years and years and years and you don't have to worry about the actors getting too old because there are no actors. Nice. Nice. Well, six, but I think that you get bonus points for choosing such a great non-screen oh. activity. So I'm going Ashley to give you just changes the four rules. bonus yeah, points. Right. Oh, you're kidding me. You are kidding me. Looks like Emily's going to squeak to a win unless, oh. unless Bob has a gold medal performance. No. Ashley, no, I, I used to like you, Ashley. Oh, oh I'm so upset. He's just, man, oh. you can't are you ready to Okay, everybody, come on. Let me hear my clue. All right. Here we go. Your question is, what do you consider to be the best film genre and why? Oh, wow, that's a good one. Uh, I think I think it would be romance, surprisingly oh enough. Oh, goodness. And I think it's because there's a lightness, there's a positivity to, the, to those films. They've got really sweet characters. They've got storylines that you can immerse yourself in and actually enjoy. You've got, you've got characters that that have to fight fight against some sort of obstacle, and they always overcome. You've got... Um... Wow, that was Bob, awesome. who knew you were such a big softie? Well, Aww. this whole time you had me fooled. I thought you were going to say horror. No, <laughs> horror. <laughs> I thought you were going to say musicals, but musicals, musicals are pretty are closely... Musicals are cool, but they're, they're sort of romantic anyway. Yeah, yes. I was going to say, Definitely. they're closely related. So All I gave right. you seven points for that one. Seven. Nice wow. job. Seven Good job. Points. I think he deserves some extra points. Oh, you think so? <laughs> Emily's going to be our oh, clear winner this week. Let the bitterness yeah. go, Paul. It's going to rot your soul. <laughs> well, that's always one of the high points of our show each week. Thank you, Ashley, for challenging us with questions that that push us to go deeper on, you know, why we think about pop culture the way we do. And we want to thank you for spending some time with us today at the Plugged In Show. What did you think about our conversation about how animated shows aimed at adults 
maybe have some problems that we really need to wrestle with. Let us know on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at thepluggedinshow.com. We would love to hear from you. And we'd also like to say thank you for being a Plugged In Show listener. And so today for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Jonathan McKee's book, Parenting Generation Screen, Guiding Your Kids to Be Wise in a Digital World. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation this week. Or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Thanks again for spending some time with us this week, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show.